0: Hey everyone, we are hosting a marriage conference in Indianapolis on March 4th and 5th, and it's going to be great. Tim and Mary Lee will be speaking from their wealth of experience. Not only have they been married for over 45 years, but they also have spent much of that time counseling married couples through all kinds of life circumstances. So they have a lot to share with us. We also have a game room at the Fountain Square Theater Building reserved for Friday night. So we want you guys to leave the kids at home and come have a fantastic weekend away with your spouse. Check out helpfulmarriage.com and register today. Now, each week leading up to the conference here on the Out of Our Minds podcast, we are going to be talking about marriage. We kick things off today by discussing the three purposes of marriage as stated in our wedding liturgy. It's foundational stuff and it's really helpful. You may want to put your headphones in if you're listening around kids. We don't talk about anything really explicit, but there is quite a lot of talk about sex in this episode since it is about marriage after all. Surprise, surprise. My guests today are Tim Bailey and Max Carell. My name is Lucas Weeks, and this is the Out of Our Minds podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome. My name is Lucas Weeks, and we are delighted that you have joined us to listen into to this podcast. And today I have with me Tim Bailey. Hi, Tim.
1: Hi, Lucas.
0: Are uh, you going to put your mic up by your oh, face? Sir. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Lucas. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no problem. Good to see you. And we also have Max Corral. Hi, Max. Hello, Lucas. How are you today? Doing well. Thank you. Okay. Very good. Well, today we are going to start a series on marriage. And a little plug here, we are having the Helpful Marriage Conference on March 4th and 5th. You've heard me talk about it in the uh, announcements on this show already. It's gonna be a blast. Take a look at helpfulmarriage.com and register today. Uh, But to get ready for that conference, we wanted to start talking about marriage. Well, Lucas, you sent out an email to
1: Max and to me saying what you'd like to do. This is gonna go on a few weeks. And what I want to do is tease out of you some of your perceptions of what is going on today and how your father-in-law, Tim Bailey, for instance, might not quite understand where marriage is today inside and outside the church. And so I'd like you to begin by describing to Max and to me, what is it that you think is going on with marriage today? Start outside the church and then work your way into the church.
0: Okay. I, I think that marriage at this point is almost like a non-thing. It's it's maybe like a lifestyle cho- choice kind of a thing. Like if if two people, and of course I say people, they're not a man and a woman, or phew, at this point, it could be two non-people, I guess, a person in a tree or something. Mm. Um, but if they if they want to get married because they're kind of old-fashioned and they like the idea, then then yeah, they can go ahead and do that and sort of have the accoutrements of a marriage. And no one's going to think necessarily poorly of them, but it's just a lifestyle choice. In general, I think that marriage is, is you know, marriage and sex in particular, totally blasé. You know, you have everything is... Uh, pornography is absolutely everywhere and it is sex has become totally reduced to just another way to to get a dopamine hit you know Mm -hmm. and you can get a dopamine hit by doing all kinds of things by taking a pill by playing video games by skydiving you know you could do it and it just happens to end you know running running yeah you could do it a lot of different ways and you know how you who you get your dopamine hit with it's really not that important. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just not important. So, Mm -hmm. I think that in the world, maybe I should say the West, it's just totally blase.
1: You know, I remember a pastor named Larry Allen. I was in Presbyterian's pro-life board on it with him. He'd gone to University of Colorado, was on the football team there, became a Christian, quit football because he thought it was incompatible with, he was a real athlete, huge. Hmm. I remember him saying in a, in a Presbyterian's Pro-Life board meeting one time that we think that we choose abortion. And he said, what we never think is that God forces abortion mm-hmm. on us as a judgment. And I think that's especially true when it comes to our position on sexual immorality and pornography and divorce and adultery and fornication. Sex uh, speaking of um, the physical intimacy side of sex, okay, mm-hmm. and so when you're talking, you say that it's boring. I remember the essay by Tom Wolfe, "A Man in Full," bonfire the vanities, where this uh, sort of—if uh, <laughs> anybody knows what he looks like—he, I think he—he has passed on, but he would always have his picture taken in a white, like linen suit hmm. with. Uh, some foppish hat on and everything he was really quite the character Mm. he wrote an essay he wrote an essay called hooking up Mm. and this was decades ago in which he said sex is nothing to young
0: people anymore right it's utterly boring could you open that up for us i think it's it's everywhere the latest tv shows are going to be filled with sex i remember reading about game of thrones and they coined a phrase, and I was sitting here trying to remember what it was, but it was like a scene in which people were having a normal conversation, just a conversation, but in which there was a, some, somebody, either the people, you know, somebody was also, also having sex in the scene, right? And I don't, I don't remember what the phrase is, but it was a, it's a term coined for that very thing. And that, that is… The banality of evil. The banality of evil, that's <laughs> yeah. right. It's just utterly banal. Yeah. So you
1: think about you know Thomas Wolfe writing this essay decades ago called Hooking Up. You can find it online, I'm sure. And he just talks about how sex is no longer interesting to the young generation. Well, we've seen this in the church. David, Max, can you tell us about, for instance, couples that call us from their honeymoon? What is their problem?
2: We sometimes have a couple call us on their honeymoon telling us that the, the man is not able to consummate the marriage. physically physically. He is just not able to. He has been so long tuning himself to a relationship with pornography that his thoughts and his mind and even his body is are, are out of sync with the mm-hmm. idea of connecting physically with an
1: individual, with a wife. And so they're just not able to consummate now. What Harry Schomburg calls false intimacy, where you think you have intimacy, but it's virtual intimacy. I think it's necessary for us to acknowledge that it's not just that he's become used to uh, photoshopped women. It's also that he has gotten so used to pleasuring himself physically that no woman can compete with him. He knows how to give himself physical pleasure. Right. And so that is the position that we're in today, where it's not the older guys that need Viagra. Mm-hmm. It's the young guys. Mm-hmm. And it's because of their sins. Now, I want to make a connection between that with a man in pornography and both men and women who have been abused as children. So it's not just that a man has looked at pornography. It's also that a man has been abused by another man or his sisters when he's little or a woman has been abused by her brothers or her father or an uncle Mm -hmm. in those cases. Also, we have problems on the honeymoon Mm -hmm. because in a very similar way, but for opposite reasons, it's not their sin. I'm not saying that somebody that's abused can't be sinful, In the midst of the abuse, that's possible. Uh, What I am saying is that the abuse is not their sin. Mm -hmm. They didn't choose it. They were victims of it, true victims, okay? But because of that, they've been corrupted, and so they, too, are incapable of having sex with their husband or their wife because all the associations that they have are dirty. Mm Mm-hmm. And so when you actually look at how filthy sex is in our liberated society, <laughs> you know, the sexual liberation of our society.
0: I I, um, I I, occasionally I'll hear a pop song that will stick in my brain. I remember which I don't remember which one this was, but I, something about the refrain of it referred to love as like a poison, like the person was poisoning them and that they mm-hmm. were and and you could see how you know we make jokes about someone's in love it's like their love potion number nine you know but it really stuck out to me because that is what happens when you're abused sexually you are poisoned or corrupted Corrupted. it used to be that
1: we would say that children who are abused are abused by a child corrupter and we we can't say often enough that when you trample on precious things, you do corrupt them. There are mm-hmm. people involved. You mm-hmm. do make your sin their door, as John Dunn put it. Mm-hmm. You do put a stumbling block in front of them, as Jesus says, you know, don't ever put a stumbling block in front of my, one of my little ones, better, better if a millstone been tied around your neck and you'd thrown into the sea. And so we just focus on the fact that that's a very great wickedness, but we don't look at why. The reason is people stumble. Over stumbling blocks. Mm. Okay. In other words, we have made, we have evil fied little children, Mm. evil fied them. We have made them sinful. Mm. We have made them more evil than they were when we got our hands and our lusts on them. Mm. And so all of this uh, stuff surrounding physical intimacy, sex, sex, sex. Has had a devastating impact on the willingness and the ability of anybody in Western culture to be married. Now, what
0: would you say about the church, men? I've been reading Emma with my wife, a Jane Austen novel. And of course, the funny thing about those books is that nothing actually happens, the whole book. It's just conversations between the characters, and there's character development, but it's all about relationships and leading up to Well, marriage. can
1: I make a joke? We were just talking about you <laughs> listening to Boswell's Life of Johnson. Yeah. yeah. Nothing ever happens <laughs> in that biography. I mean, it's 45 hours of nothingness happening. <laughs> so oh, it's true. not like men don't have books that nothing happens into. It's very true. The, th- the difference of co- well, never mind. I would like to know what do you think the difference is? Because uh, you're just like you're just like dissing women and uh, girls, <laughs> you know. So well, why okay. is there not happening this inferior to your not uh, happening? This? Well, maybe
0: it's not. I I will say <laughs> I I did find when I first read Pride and Prejudice, you know, I I picked it up because you know I don't I think I was probably dating Hannah at the time, or <laughs> wanting to or something, wanting. And, to. Um, and it is amazingly perceptive about people and it it was very helpful to me. I think those books are very helpful to help a guy like me mm-hmm. to understand relationships and you know it would I would be the kind of idiot who I wouldn't have been a matchmaker like Emma, but I would be the kind of idiot like Emma to not have noticed all kinds of things that were going mm-hmm. on and to really hurt people in, in the ways that I was foolish and anyway um so very helpful books and also a pleasure to read nice to read with your wife is who happens to love them so yeah i
1: have said to guys a number of times that i think they should read middle
0: march Mm, if they if
1: they have no emotional intelligence by the time you're done there you will have some picture (laughs) of woman's inner life
0: i don't know if hannah's ever read that
1: so maybe well it's like it's like putting a gun to their heads because it's so long and it's so endless in the dialogue is it is it uh,
0: tragic or is it actually fun I didn't finish it I got most Ah! I got most of the way through it okay but I
1: just got so weary it was like reading the most oh my goodness I found out more than than I (laughs) well it is good for men who don't have emotional intelligence and don't know what this creature woman is
0: okay okay (laughs) Well, okay. So I'm reading Emma with Hannah, and it struck me that at that time in 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 history in England, you know, marriage and family, everyone knew what a family was. They knew what marriage was. Like these were common. There was common assumptions across the board, and yet the whole book is about the difficulty and pain and struggle. Of a man and a woman getting married, so my point is, even then it was difficult. How much more today is it insanely difficult? because, as we've already touched on, you know the the world is totally blase about about all of this. Um, but then, if you go into the Christian world, which was your question just a minute ago, you have maybe in the reformed world, or you got homeschool girls growing up reading Jane Austen. And so they expect their husband to be an 18th century English gentleman. And, and they've been watching Downton Abbey. They've been watching Downton Abbey. And I just want, if there's any of them listening, which I don't know that there are, but if there are any young ladies listening, that's not what's on offer right now. (laughs) (laughs) Max, what do you say about that?
2: Well, yeah, it's not, it's not what's on offer. The, the church and people in the church—we have uh, what drank the Kool-Aid uh-huh. of the world around us. We're we're eating we're eating what's set in front of us regularly, and that is changing us. And then when we're not eating it, and it and it just changing us directly, we're also cow-towing, uh, being browbeaten to the culture constantly, constantly, constantly.
1: What everybody in the Reformed Evangelical Church thinks today is that all you have to do to prove your integrity and faith is to say no to homosexual marriage, sodomitic marriage. Mm-hmm. That's what people think. They think, well, he, he says that homosexuals shouldn't get married, and so he's good.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What they don't realize is that all the people being fated, being celebrated, being commended, being published, being... Uh, the main plenary speaker at our conferences are people who say I'm gay and I have a spiritual friendship Mm. and in fact, we have a child that we have adopted, meaning him and his male partner, Mm -hmm. but we don't copulate. Mm -hmm. And that is where we are in the evangelical reform world today. That is what Revoice is. That is what the Gospel Coalition is today today. They celebrate this. And I was thinking this morning about how 30 years ago when I entered the ministry, well, actually more like 38 or 39 years ago, you know, you'd have a couple come to church and you'd be so excited that they were trying out God. Mm-hmm. Okay. Seekers, right? But they were living together. And so you'd go to them and you'd say, are, are, are the two of you living together? You know, And they'd say, well, yeah, but don't worry. We're not sleeping together. Mm. And there was always a crisis at that moment, you know, like, are you going to be a simpleton? Are you going to be credulous? Are you going to be like inane? Are you going to be like a stupid shepherd? (laughs) And, you know, you look at that and you say, well, but I can be evangelistic if I don't confront them about their lies. Well, that's what's going on with homosexuality today. Mm -hmm. We've all decided that we're not going to ask questions about which parts of the body they touch when they're cuddled up on the couch as spiritual friends Mm -hmm. watching the latest Netflix, right? Are you Mm -hmm. with me? Yep, yep. And this is on top of all the other compromises we've already accepted. We do not ask young people if they're pure when they're dating. We do not discipline unbiblical divorce Right. How many times do I have to have women tell me, my husband left me for a young, you know, bimbo. Mm-hmm. And then he had the gall to come and sit in church in front of me and the children. Mm-hmm. And the pastor hasn't done any, the elders haven't done anything. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've had people email me, call me, talk to me about that. All right. But that's even after we have given up on sexuality and the creation order. So... We have now decided that really, as Jim Keller would put it, the only time it matters that you're man and woman in authority in the home is if you somehow are so selfish that you can't come to an agreement. Mm -hmm. You know, in other words, if there is a disagreement and nobody's going to give way, then he says, the man does have tie-breaking authority. Now, listen, where does the man's authority come from from vis-a-vis woman? It comes from the fatherhood of God. Right. All right. God put his fatherhood resident in the first of the species. And we know that because in Adam, we all die, not in Adam and Eve, and not in Eve. Uh In other words, this is a foundational principle of all of creation. It's not a Christian truth. It's not a result of the fall. But as evangelical reform people, we've given up on that. Now, people at this point are going to say, oh, no, we haven't. We're complementarian. I say, so do you believe that? The authority of man, vis-a-vis man, man, all right, do you believe that that authority is resident across all creation and all time, that it's a universal?
0: This is where the pagans are just way more honest than the the Christians because they say down with the patriarchy. Yeah, 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 (laughs)
1: which is really down with God. That's right. Down with God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. One more statement. Mm Mm-hmm. This is a podcast on marriage. Right. How on earth (laughs) is anybody supposed to have a marriage in a conservative, reformed evangelical church where the most anybody's willing to hold on to is Jane Austen? I mean,
0: what mean? and what do and mean?
1: Downton Abbey. In other words, it's, it's all this frilly. It's like making your daughters, mm-hmm. you know, talking about sexuality making them wear dresses with lace, right? You know, it's like having a family centered church. It's all these, it's like agrarian. You got to have chicken coops, you mm-hmm. know, we are so pathetically behind the eight ball and weak. We have given up authority in the home. We have given up purity before marriage. We've given up purity after marriage. We watch adulterous lust mm-hmm. for our entertainment. Mm-hmm. We say that we're against homosexuality just because we're against
0: homosexual copulation. They can still, you see, and and yet we think that a dose of Jane Austen is gonna gonna carry us. It's fantasy. And it's, ridiculous. it's like yeah.
1: It's like you watch Downton Abbey, and I find it fascinating. Right. But it's like, you know, it's like scuba diving. (laughs) You know, you get your suit on, regulator and tank and everything, mask. You go underwater. Whoa. It's a different world. (laughs) Starting with the fact that I'm no longer a fat, lazy dog. I can just swim. Float. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, float, you know. Uh, And so I think if we're going to have a series on marriage – yeah. We have to realize that it's not us versus the world. Mm. It's us versus us. The enemy of marriage in the church is the church. It is the way the church has normalized every perversion of what God created good. Okay? Every single one. And once again, if our listeners don't want to hear how we have met the enemy and he is us, there are wonderful podcasts out there for you. <laughs> yeah. Let's have one where we're going to
0: always work to confess that we have met the enemy and he is me. So where is, is this obvious? And we, I suppose we could start in a lot of different places, but I think...
1: Well, let's start with what are the three purposes of marriage. Okay. Okay. The three purposes of marriage that scripture teaches and that Protestant Christians have always confessed are compatriotism, helpmate, companionship, relational. All right. right? Mm-hmm. Number two, a proper outlet for the sexual drive. That is an evil. Mm-hmm. That's good. Mm-hmm. And number three, the propagation of a God we see. So we're real intense about our wedding ceremony. Right. And Max found out that we had not put in the propagation of a God we see having children. Yes, that was you. <laughs> it was you. Max yeah. is denying that it was him yeah, and right. he was right. Right.
0: <laughs> uh. And
1: so these three purposes of marriage, what I'd like to ask you, Lucas, is take the purposes, being a helpmate, relational, Mm -hmm. a godly outlet for sexuality, the propagation of a godly seed, as young Christian men and women in conservative reformed evangelical churches begin to date, how do these three reasons rate? What do you see about these three reasons and their motivation at that time? (laughs) David? Go well, I, I I work from the last back. Nobody
2: cares about propagating any right. any seed at all. So I don't think anybody is getting into marriage today thinking I want to have children. Now, I could be wrong. Well, wow. uh, there may be some.
0: Women may. There are exceptions that prove the rule that are mm-hmm. are wanting to have children, but most of the, whom
1: are have the last name Crumb. <laughs> 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 Go ahead, Max. But I just, I just.
2: I just wonder if people today think at all about having children and that being normal and the right thing to do, the mm-hmm. right thing, a blessing to have. I just don't think people think of it that way. Our world is set up children like we've set up old people. Old people are obnoxious and ridiculous and ought to be hidden and killed and gotten rid of. And children are a burden and difficult, and dogs are so much better because you can just put food out twice a day for them, and that's it.
1: And if you have a black lab and you get tired of having to relate to him and having emo- his emotional intelligence in your on your hand as you sit to read, then get a cat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the dog is too needy for you. Yeah, to the a dog cat. is too
1: needy. Yeah. So I you think- don't want a cocker spaniel. Trust me. <laughs>
2: Well, I think that's just the reality. I think it's the reality of people in the church as well as in the world. I don't people, I don't, I think people, the world is constantly. Uh, evangelizing against the population, and you know, let's re, let you know it's Ebenezer Scrooge. We'll let will reduce the surplus yeah, population, yeah, and really. they're constantly harping on that's the population, true. even though they don't have a clue about
1: what's happening.
2: They're, even though the headline the population at all, the
1: headline yesterday was that China has now gone to a three-child policy. Yeah, I mean, it thing. was just hilarious. They're having the bottom fallout of their children. It's so awful that now they're trying to get people, they're trying to give them free real estate, give them extra money, do anything to get their Chinese citizens to have children. Hmm. They can't keep their population at its present size. And this is true all across the Northern Hemisphere. And it's becoming true as fast as you bring education to the Southern Hemisphere. Childbearing as a desire of the people dies. Hmm. The minute you educate women, those women have learned the lesson that children are a pain in the rear, and it's a wasted life for you as a woman to give your life to being a life giver. Let that, <laughs> let, let that be made perfectly clear, though, because people
2: are going to listen to what you just said and say, the minute you educate women, and then they're going to stop. It's true. Well, but I'm saying that the minute you educate women to what? And well, that's
1: what we're, <laughs> what you, the, we don't want women to read. We don't want women to, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Mark Twain said, don't ever let your children's education get in the way of their education. Okay. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, Well, what, do you, what you were
2: saying specifically is what we export as education. Yeah. Is well, our, it's also what we export
1: as missions, yeah, as yeah. Missions it is, is, is rife among missionaries, that's what our yeah, education
2: yeah. is, we're educating and we're, we're pr- proselytizing and years sure, ago when my
1: friend Joel Belts was running a series on microfinance, you know, I was trying to build support, this is going to solve the problems of Africa, Sub-Saharan, you know, and I call him up and I say, Joel, this is not the solution less than 5% of your microfinance loans go to men. What this is, is a movement to transfer authority and monetary power from the male of the species to the female. Now, if you ever talk to a missionary from Sub-Saharan Africa, you know why Christians don't want men controlling anything. Right. Because no missionaries have bothered telling men no. Okay, And so you have all these men, pastors, elders, in sub-Saharan Africa, in the churches, who are having sex with their nieces and nephews and who have a household that has no boundaries, mm-hmm. you know? And so, David, when it comes to education, I am saying to people, I read, I study, and you can absolutely count on the fact that educated Asian will be to end its population growth. It's just a one-for-one one correlation. You you look at me with suspicion.
0: No, I mean, I think you're right. Um, but you're not opposed to education.
1: I just got done saying I read. I research. Yeah. My wife reads. She researches. We have like a... Uh, We even have a a separation of labor as to which things she should know and which I should know. Mm. She's a specialist in adoption. I'm a specialist in authority and the attack upon it in the church today. Can Mm. anybody who knows anything about Warhorn in our church and you think that we're against knowledge and wisdom and study and reading and arguing and logic? It's not true. But that's not what the educational establishment is giving people. And if you don't know that, then just read Alan Bloom's The Closing of the American Mind. I got done reading that and I realized I'd been to UW-Madison and I'd been to Gordon-Conwell. And I realized that book by a gay uh, philosopher specializing in ancient Greek philosophy, teaching at University of Chicago, had written a Jeremiah against higher education's perversion of learning. And knowledge and wisdom blown it to smithereens rejected by what 17 publishers before it was published then it was a runaway bestseller and i said when i got done reading it back in the early 90s it was published in like 88 i said this book is a perfect description of what higher education at gordon conwell theological seminary is and I said, I had more freedom to think with a Christian mind at UW-Madison as a history major than I had at Gordon-Conwell, where they were always trying to suppress thought, disagreement. Everything was this coin, like, now, don't hurt each other's feelings. Okay, Why? Because they were disobeying God in the most fundamental aspects of life, the yeah. professors had signed on to feminism. They denied okay, that we're
0: we're getting way off topic.
1: Well, actually, actually, I don't think so, Lucas.
2: Because I think that's why I asked him why. You said they'd signed on to feminism, and what we're after is why has the church lost its uh, well, lost its salt, lost its uh, ability to
1: lost its savor over marriage because we've given up the purposes of marriage. Yes. That's my point. Mm. And my point is that propagating a godly seed is fundamental to Christian marriage. It's one of the three purposes, okay? And the minute you start leaving sexuality behind and by that, I don't mean copulation. I mean actually the nature of manhood and woman. Mm-hmm. The minute you deny that that is a universal principle written into the order, of creation by God prior to the fall, everything begins to blow apart. That's Mm -hmm. how fundamental sexuality is. That's the reason today that we're left arguing whether or not two men who confess they're gay and affirm their gay aesthetic, if not copulation, can live together, can adopt a child together, and then can be Plenary speakers at gospel coalition conferences. Mm -hmm. In other words, look, if we're going to admit how bad marriage is today in the church, in the conservative reform church, it's not going to be enough for us to like scrape off the 10th layer of paint Mm -hmm. because it's flaking here and there. We have to go back and we have to start at the beginning which is the purposes of marriage biblically, look at which purposes are even recognizable in Christian marriages today, and then begin to trace back what happened to them. What happened to the propagation? And I'm saying that the propagation of God we see was destroyed by the vision of higher education and lower education. That's how change comes to cultures. Mm. And why does the Chinese
2: government have more of a commitment to biblical reasons for marriage than the evangelical church it does. today. And but Roman that's, Catholics that's do. That's the thing. And it's because, as you've said, we have we have uh, given up, we have become worldly, and we have become fearful. The heritage we have in God's word, we're ashamed of. We're ashamed to live it, we're ashamed to believe it, we're ashamed to confess it. And now the, the communists in China hmm. will confess it because they're seeing it written in creation in such a way that it cannot be denied. So they're willing to confess it, but the evangelicals aren't, because we want our pleasures, because we don't want to be seen as simpletons by the universities, whatever it is.
1: Well, yeah, it's the same reason that you have black men so intense in opposing homosexuality. Christian black men are some of the most intense, and it's because they've grown up in matriarchies, And they see all these gay black men, and they know where it comes from. Mm. It's why Tony Evans was the only dude that was allowed to actually preach on male leadership with promise keepers. You know, we met with the leaders at, at Soldier Field up in the owner's box, you know, and tried to get them to allow their speakers to teach biblical Manhood and leadership in the home. And they hated it. They were so opposed because it was so divisive. Mm. But not one of them would even think of silencing Tony Evans. Mm. He was black. Right. And so it was not a hypothetical to him, it was visceral. And you'll see that with homosexuality. In other words, there are certain people groups who have been so burned by the betrayal of heterosexuality by the betrayal of male authority by this, that, and the other thing Chinese by the betrayal of the propagation of God, we seed with what 40 years of one child policy that all of a sudden they're not interested in how people view them and whether they're seen as being old and in the way or hip or it's like, dude, we don't have the labor force and our balance of trade desperately needs more workers. (laughs) Now, And so they just changed it to a three child policy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So if
2: you want to begin thinking about marriage from a biblical position, you want to say, okay, let's open our Bibles. Let's
1: start at the very beginning. And let's mm -hmm.
2: open our
0: eyes. A very good place to start. And let's let's just say, okay, God said this. Well, and it's about manhood. I mean, it's about manhood and womanhood, it's about sexuality. Yes. Nothing about, you know, know, gender. what, What is marriage? Doesn't even begin to make sense unless you have male and female.
1: And male and female are meaningless words unless you attribute to them what God has revealed Mm. from the beginning. They're meaningless words if you deny that. God assigns us a sexual obedience in nature at the moment of conception. Mm. They're meaningless if there is not obedience required to your sexuality. Then you get into describing what is the nature of that obedience. Mm-hmm. And right there, you've got all the Bibles translating Malachi as male prostitutes. Right. And that's not what it means. It means soft men, dainty men. Well, are you saying men can't be soft? Are you saying there's something wrong with liking poetry? Mm. And it's just stupefying. Yeah. Well,
2: it's like today we were looking at a at a catalog, and in the catalog you could order the gender-neutral Bible for men, and the, gender- <laughs> ah, the gender-neutral Bible for yeah. women. Yeah. And yeah. it's yeah. like, and somebody yeah. said, well, Where's my non-binary gender neutral bible, you know? That and it's just funny. it's just bizarre.
1: <laughs> and wicked, wicked, uh, wicked. And unfortunately also funny, funny, funny. It's yes. also <laughs> funny, funny, funny.
0: I mean, it would be funny to have a I mean it would it would not be good because it would be blasphemous, but I don't know. I was thinking about a, a comedian standing up and making fun of yeah. of the Christian publishing world. They would do a very good job. Well, certainly they
1: would. <laughs> but the sad thing is that people would laugh at it and think that's as deep as it, as it goes. It's, it's comic. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I always point out that pastors have to lie. Mm. And only comedians are now allowed
0: to tell the, tell the truth. The truth. Right. So you, we touched on propagation of a godly seed. What's the next one? Well, it depends on how you order them.
1: Okay. Okay. I would say the first thing is it is not good for man to be alone. Mm. Is that not what God said? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so, why is it not good for man to be alone? Because you're lonely. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Uh... And this is how the book starts out, you know, that we're going to publish. It's like, can we please go back? And listen to the song when a man (laughs) loves a woman. More and more. That's what I want to do to people in the church today is sing that song. When a man loves a woman. Can we reclaim love? I, you know, death is a very real part of my thinking now at this point in my life. I'm going to retire in about what, five five months now. Okay, five and a half. And I'm with Mary Lee and it really is amazing what a gift to me god has given me and her mm-hmm. i mean amazing i sometimes think if she were to die before i did i please shoot me <laughs> just shoot me now people can think well that's so romantic <laughs> <laughs> and it actually is very romantic and there's nothing wrong with it. I cannot conceive of having lived my life without Mary Lee Taylor. Can't conceive it. I can't conceive of loving my children or grandchildren without Mary Lee Taylor. Mm-hmm. I can't conceive of what the character of my children would be without Mary Lee Taylor. You know, I was thinking about the, the verse that he it
2: was bad that he was alone. It wasn't good that he was alone. And then the word that hits me right away is suitable. He was looking for someone suitable. And you think about our wives and, and how they have made life bearable. Or maybe they've
1: made us bearable. Is there a difference? <laughs> <laughs> but I think people listening to this, I'm, I'm sad to say this, but I think an awful lot of them are just going to resent this.
0: Mm.
1: Because they're going to see, well, that's all
0: well, Peachy good, King, good, you and, know, well good you. and well for
1: you. But what about me? I'm married to the world's greatest ass. Yeah. Well, so is my wife. <laughs> yeah, but then they're going to say that you're that you're trivializing their predicament. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Listen, I'm sorry people won't believe this, but none of you would have wanted to go back and occupy the first 10 years of my marriage.
0: Mm.
1: I mean, it wasn't until we'd been married 10 years that I stopped when people would say what it's like to be married because we got married earlier than all our friends. And I would say, well, marriage is hell, but it's a better hell than being single. Mm -hmm. I would say that to people. And after about 10 years with tons of powerful work by the Holy Spirit and many sermons listened to and many rebukes and many failures and much tears, you begin to be something like what the world means when it says compatible, <laughs> you know, really seriously. Uh, yeah. and, and honestly, what a blessing that Mary Lee and I had body parts that fit together and that we were suitable for one another. In other words, what a blessing that we had sex because sex was so helpful when sin seemed to be everywhere else. You know, and then what a blessing that God gave us a child. So that even though at a particular moment we might not love each other, we adored this child that was the fruit of our love. Hmm. And so that's another reason why it's so horrible today that nobody has any desire to have children or even to get married. All the women graduate eating from Christian colleges that you know have no desire to settle for anybody, hmm. they're going to reach the age of thirty-eight. Before it's going to hit them that, well, you know, I might want also to be a a mother. Well, to be a mother, I guess I got to be a wife. Well, then I guess I got to settle for some idiot masculine being. And so what we have to realize is that companionship, a helper suitable, as Max put it, is ground zero of what causes us to get married. But then the minute we do that, we have the help of sex and children you talk about your first years of
2: marriage and I think about all the times I've later in life later in my marriage, I've gone to Annie and ask her forgiveness. And I think she gets, she sometimes is like, yeah, you already said that, but you think about (laughs) it's like marriage. It's like the early years that I have, there are places where I have, and I still have shame for late years, but I'm talking about things that I'm so ashamed of in the early years of my marriage that I just, it just inside I want to be sick when I think back of how I was and things I did or didn't do Mm. or ways I responded or didn't respond. And I just think, Oh, why did she put up with that? Why did she do this? And so, yeah, you think about what Tim's saying about what, the beautiful things God gives us in marriage while we struggle through those very, the, the chipping away of the biggest parts of the rock that need to be, you know, chipped off that are so horrible. Mm -hmm. And then as you get older, you realize, Oh man, there's so much more that needs to be chipped off. And, but you see that you've, the system has become well tuned to the chipping process, you Mm -hmm. know,
0: and things get sweeter in that regard. Mm hmm. Tim, you you brought up sex and of course, you know, this is a podcast that makes me feel a little uncomfortable. But I'm sitting here thinking about it because we just got done talking about how sex is dirty <laughs> now. And I think what you are wanting to talk about is how beautiful a, it is. How beautiful mm-hmm. and how comforting, mm-hmm. how sweet it is, it actually is mm-hmm. in a tender marriage relationship. It's part of the the companionship. We have to, as Christians, go back to first things. Mm -hmm. From
1: the beginning, he made us male and female. This is what Jesus says when asked about divorce. Have you not read that from the beginning, he made them male and female? Well, that must mean that male and female is fundamental. Mm -hmm. And that must Mm -hmm. mean, since it's fundamental, (laughs) that there are a lot of ways to pervert it. Yeah. Okay?
0: Yeah.
1: And... More ways than you've ever thought about, and it's hard work to be a man, and it is hard work to be a woman. Mm-hmm. And we are required to be faithful to our sex, mm-hmm. it is not gender, it's not a continuum, it's not plastic. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that there aren't an infinite number of manifestations of biblical manhoodness and biblical femininity. Okay, mm-hmm. I admit that we all are our own snowflakes in our manhood and womanhood. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Sure. Okay.
1: But we are to be obedient to the, to the sex that God assigned us mm. and it's hard work and it's hard work putting those two sexes together. And I know people are going to say, well, you don't have any idea how hard it is. Mm-hmm. I just got done saying you want to go and occupy the first 10 ye- years of my marriage. Really? You're that confident that you, you're the, the, the most precious sore thumb on the face of the universe. <laughs> you are the suffering woman. You're the suffering man. We have to realize that we have not begun to understand the depth to which marriage has become degraded in the church, mm. in the conservative, in the evangelical, in the reformed church today. We are not the solution. We, the church, is the we are
0: the problem. Yeah. So let's talk about the third one before we end. So that there's a proper outlet. Outlet. For the sexual desire. Mm-hmm. Now, my take on that is that the reaction to that would be to be offended <laughs> by it. Because why, Max? I wonder if it ought to be reversed
2: and it, it, we ought to say so that we don't take the proper sexual desire and pervert it. Because that would be the that would be the consequence, is that we would take proper sexual desire and pervert it. It's hmm. not that sexual desire isn't tainted and perverted by the sin of Adam. It is, but in the ways that we go about giving ourselves to other perversions sexually, we continue to grow in that perversion. Whereas the marriage bed is not. A perversion of our sexual desire.
1: Well, yes, it is. How much lust and concupiscence and perversion permeate our culture, it does come into the marriage bed. I didn't right? say I didn't say that it doesn't come into it. So what what are
2: you saying? Well, about? I am saying that if there is a proper outlet for our sexual desire in the marriage bed, that then that that outlet is proper. Now the that, marriage that, bed is is where which it's which isn't to say that we can't bring and don't bring all kinds of perversions into mm-hmm. it and defile the marriage bed, which we do and it is done, but I think I was answering what Lucas said because he was saying, "Well, how did you say that that's negative to me that we'd it, even have that one listed." Because a proper outlet for sexual desire. A proper desire. outlet, right, because it, it almost says, like, oh, we've got this annoying sexual desire we've got to deal mm-hmm. with, and so mm-hmm. we need some kind of proper outlet for it. And rather than seeing it as something that God created that he made that was good in the actual creation mm-hmm. of it, and that it has to be possessed with holiness, mm-hmm. it has to be possessed correctly in our lives, even past the fall. Even with our wicked hearts, it has to be possessed correctly, and that God can take that and give us the power to possess it correctly.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting as you talk to think about the ways that we pervert the three purposes of marriage. Propagation of a godly seed, companionship, and a proper outlet are all beautiful things yes. and can be perverted. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things we have to say about each of those purposes, though, is that those purposes exist in marriage, whether or not you want to acknowledge it. And by trying to remove them from marriage, you don't become safer. You become more exposed, okay? Hmm. And so, you can think of a lot of people who have been abused as children who try to remove sexual intimacy from their marriage. You know, they'd be content if their spouse went and masturbated instead of, you know, trying to have something mutual with them, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or you think about the number of people who just decide because they're proud that they're going to have as many children as they can. And it's a competition with the other family in the church that drives a 15-passenger van, Right. Or you think about people who say, I have the most wonderful leader of a husband in the home and I just adore him and I worship him and turn <laughs> what is supposed to be a helpmate ship into a servile, fawning, glorifying. Yeah, it, it, it's sickening. Mm. So we have to be very careful that each of these three purposes has an integrity and dignity of its own. Mm. And so if you... If you find yourself revolting against the use of the term outlet, please acknowledge the fact that you, as a person, are made to desire physical intimacy. I mean, can you lower yourself and admit that? I don't care how much you've been abused. Can you lower yourself to admit that most of us, by God's design, need an outlet? I, I'd like Go to read ahead.
0: what it actually says in, in our liturgy um, It was ordained for the mutual help of husband and wife, for the increase of mankind with a legitimate issue, and of the church with a holy seed, and for preventing uncleanness. But, I mean, think about the
1: prevention of uncleanness. So, in other words, marriage is a prophylactic?
0: Mm. (laughs) That's what it says. I mean, it is pretty sort of kind of— I mean, it takes sin seriously. It takes sin seriously. Well, it takes sex seriously. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I want to read, back in 1948 here in Bloomington, Kinsey, a professor came out with his Kinsey reports.
0: Mm, Yep, yep.
1: And I think that I never get far from this quote. It's just priceless. Margaret Meese, pagan anthropologist, probably the best known anthropologist in the world at the time and maybe even to today. Pagan. And she was asked to give a paper on the Kinsey Report. And the Kinsey Report was the first blow for sexual liberation in the 20th century. It really was a predecessor to the 60s and Haight-Ashbury and everything, and to the revoice of the PCA today. What Kinsey did was he interviewed a bunch of people, a lot of criminals, who were in jail for what they had done sexually, And he tabulated how many acts they had done this way and this way and this way. And then he put out the Kinsey Report for men, that for women. 1948 was the first one. And then Margaret Mead was asked to respond to him putting out all these tables of numbers of people who had had sex with children with on and on and on and on and on. on. Anyhow, this Kinsey, this pervert of a man who would try to have all his research assistants and his wife having sex with each other, men with men, women with mm-hmm. women. Mm-hmm. He was he was a demon. Yeah. All right. He releases his report in 48. And then Margaret Mead is asked in New York City to the Anthropological Association to give a paper on the Kinsey reports. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just reading an excerpt from that paper. Mm -hmm. All right, remember, she's godless. She's an anthropologist. She lives to make observations. She says in every society, sex patterns depend upon a careful and meticulous balance between ignorance and knowledge, sophistication and naivete. The Kinsey Report has upset the balance between the things we don't mention and the things we do. And it may be expected to have considerable effect in our society for that reason. Quite a good deal of our virtue has depended upon people not knowing what other people were doing. In the past, it was said it's better to marry than to burn. Now we translate, quote, it is better to have an outlet of some sort.
0: Hmm.
1: Because you've got to have an outlet of some sort, unquote. And so it's just a question of which outlet, and Kinsey suggests no way of choosing between a woman and a sheep. Mm-hmm. This is Margaret Kinsey.
2: Mead. Oh, Margaret
1: Mead. I mean, Margaret Mead. And so you look at um, where we are today and everything that's good that God has made as his kind response to it not being good, that man is alone. hmm we have tossed on its head, and the only difference between the church and the world is that the church has had a slightly different way of tossing it on its head and has not tossed it quite on its head as much as the world has. Yeah, And so that's why it is so painful for us to talk about marriage, to get married, to be married, and to counsel married couples. I mean, can we give a picture to them of what it's been like for us to counsel some of the couples in our church recently. Max, would you like to do that?
2: Well, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a Picasso. If it's a picture, if I'm supposed to give a picture, it's, it's a lot of, a lot of difficulty because of much sin, because of false expectation, because of, well, it's so difficult because you, you can't get done with a, counseling session and say, look, there it's fixed. And, and and that makes sense too. And and Pastor Bailey, Pastor Weeks, I we're, we are patient because remember we said a few minutes ago, okay, if you knew me in the first 10 years of my marriage, and if we were the ones in the counseling session in the first 10 years of our marriage, the pastor who had been, who would have been working with us uh, he might have been like throwing up shoot his me. hands and saying, shoot me. <laughs> and what we realize is that this is something that's for the long haul. It requires, it requires repentance and faith, and it requires that men and women give themselves submitting to God with their, their sexuality, with their sex, with their uh, place, place as man and woman, with their wombs, with their work, Mouths. with their commitments, with their love, with their submission. All of those things are real, as well as happening in the context of our fighting against all the other sins that we fight against. And God is faithful, powerful, uh, able, willing, hmm. He and he does this work. We testify to him doing yeah, that in yeah, our lives, yeah. and so and we, our marriages. And so we look at those that we counsel, and we say, "You know what? He did that to us. No, you couldn't have had this kind of a problem." <laughs> and we just laugh, and we say, "Well, yeah, we could have that kind of a problem." And God is faithful, and. And we didn't have all those specifics that you just listed, every single one of them, but you know, we, have, we know this couple and this couple and this couple, and they've had all of those statistics and a whole big pile of other wonderful mm-hmm. yucky stuff that they've had to do, and God has been kind to them, and he has healed them, and he has given them good
1: marriage. The Christian life is impossible, and nowhere is it more impossible than marital unity And people who are single might say, well, are you writing us out of the impossibilities of Christian life? And I say, no, Augustine had some intense impossibilities Mm -hmm. in (laughs) his life, just trying to pull off his condemnation of sexuality after he had lived in fornication for years, Mm -hmm. okay? He had challenges, and you can see it in his writing. Mm -hmm. Um, The Apostle Paul had a very difficult life. Uh, Abraham was married to Sarah, and he had a very difficult life. You know, Isaac Had Rebecca, it's said to be the best marriage there was by the Jews. He had a difficult wife. But I, I think at the beginning of this series on marriage, we have to say, you may not start in the middle. You may not bounce over all the unfaithfulnesses at the purposes of marriage and the nature of manhood and womanhood and just try to finesse the mistakes that are causing you the most pain right now.
0: I think that one of the benefits of being a pastor is we get a front row seat to, we get to see a lot of things that people don't often get to see. And one of the things, you know, in answer to your question that you just asked Max, is it's amazing to see the goodness of God in His creation of marriage, despite how difficult it is. Mm -hmm. You know, we've acknowledged that many times in this episode already, but despite the difficulty, the goodness of God in giving us marriage and giving us His commands and his commands are not burdensome. They are his love Mm -hmm. for us. Uh, And part of why I say that is because we get a front row seat to the utter destruction Mm -hmm. of the selfishness and sin when we turn away from God's commands. And it is, it's terrible. It's horrific. And it's horrific on the
1: part of women. As well as men. Absolutely, oh, yeah. women. I sat with a man this last Sunday trying to get him to see that neither he nor, we're, we're counseling them,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that neither he nor his wife understand themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's hard as a pastor to convince somebody that you actually know what's going on better than he does when it's yeah. his marriage, his wife, himself. <laughs> but yeah. let me tell you, women Have claws. Women can be devious. Women manipulate. Women use children against their husbands. Mm. Now, nobody's going to have a fit about me saying the various ways that men sin. Mm -hmm. I could go on for half an hour and everybody would cheer me on. Women sin in marriage. Women refuse to give sex to their husbands. Mm -hmm. Women use their children to undercut the discipline of those children by their husbands. Mm -hmm. Women set up fights between children and competitions between them. Women have favorites. Women, and I can go on and on and on. This is not a podcast about men being the problem in Mm -hmm. Christian marriages today. Men and women are always in marriage equal because God made them that way. And where there is a sin of failure to carry responsibility and authority on the part of the man, there is a failure on the part of the woman to submit to the authority and to please her husband. You
0: know, in other words, the two are one in their sins and not just their righteousness. So we've got a couple that we just started talking with for premarital counseling. And it's always a, you know pre counseling is always kind of funny because you're thinking like, "What's the point? <laughs> you yeah, know, what, what's what it, the point of doing this?" Every pastor <laughs> thinks that, um, but then you say, "Okay, no, you really got to do this." And so, so, um, and the other funny thing about it is that, like, you, what you want to do is open up their eyes to all the things that they're blind to about their own selfishness and sin. And yet, you're right at the cusp where they're so excited, and you know they're thrilled about getting married. And so you get their joy on the one hand, but no, no, it's really difficult and hard as well. And so I just, I was sitting with this couple and was talking about some of the things immediately apparent to me that were going to be their sins and temptations. And then I just paused because they're about to get married and they're so excited. I thought, I said, after talking about their sins and temptations, I said, guys, marriage is great. It's just great. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the woman in the case kind of like, fell, almost fell out of her chair. You know, she's like, ah, oh, you know, dying there. Cause of course they want to get married. But as we end today, that's, I think there are a lot of difficulties, but God has given us marriage and it is very, very sweet. And so we want to hit the difficulties, we want to hit the pains, but we want to help listeners, our listeners, catch a, a, a vision for the, the sweetness, the glory of marriage as God has commanded it, as God has commanded it, and not as, as the world has made it. If you're so cynical and faithless
1: that you are not willing to trust God, In healing your wounds, the wounds of your spouse, your husband or wife, and giving your children the black soil of love of a man and a woman for one another to grow up in, then I pity you. And if you think that it's easier for other people and harder for you, how do you say you're an idiot without being so insulting? (laughs) In other words... Everything in life yields its greatest beauty and pleasure to those that work at it its hardest. Mm. And is there some reason why? Because it's romantic that marriage should be easy? I love what Chesterton says, which is marriage is the melding together of two mutually incompatible forces, mm-hmm. man and woman. Mm. And he says the question isn't whether it will be a quarrel. It will be. The question is can you keep it a lover's quarrel?
0: Thanks so much for listening. My name is Lucas Weeks, and the conversation today was with Tim Bailey and Max Carell. We serve as pastors at Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. For more great content, please visit warhornmedia.com. To support this podcast, you can donate at patreon.com slash out of our minds. Bye for now.